Yeah. I hated what he had become. But I loved him underneath. I, I wanted him to be better. I wanted him to be like some like the, the rest of the children in the neighborhood going to school or had a job and, and were planning their future, buying their first car or whatever it might have been. And um, he had none of that. And I couldn't see him having any of that. And that was destroying me as well. Even even the atmosphere when you walk into the house, you know, it was just, it was like a stale atmosphere, you know. You just didn't want to be, well, I didn't want to be there. Mad thinking, you know, I want to get out and go on the drink to show them, you know, to hurt them, to let them see how much they hurt me. Thanks to God I didn't, you know, because it would have been an extra burden on my wife, you know. Yeah, came very close to splitting from my wife, who I worship. But we just weren't, we were going against one another on things. I was that focused on the person with the problem. I thought uh, drugs would never happen to us. Where we lived, I genuinely believed that, and I couldn't understand how people sort of allowed their kids to be drug addicts. Or I remember like uh, saying that, you know, if, oh, if it happened to me, I'd sort this, I'd do that. <laughs> it was the biggest eye-opener to think that, you know, uh, you couldn't do that. And, uh, and then when it happened to me, I felt such guilt and shame this is the story of four men, Jimmy, Paul, Mousie and John. All of these men have a child addicted to heroin. None of these men would have met if Derek Jennings, a family support worker, hadn't pulled up outside their homes in his old Ford Transit van. So where are we heading tonight, Derek? Ring's End. And what's the story down there tonight? The story is... It's Drug Awareness Week down there. So we're going down to do our play. And hopefully we'll encourage more men to stand up and get support. That's the basis of what the play was put together for in the first place was there. We used to a lot of parents, men in particular. And we used the drama as an outreach tool to visit all the communities and let men see that men have feelings too. No, I'd no, um, I'd no idea that there was something wrong. I put it down to hormonal change and 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 stuff like that, um, because we were always a very very close knit family, very very close. Now from a very early age, we had we had a system whereby in the house, we used to sit at this table every month, at this particular table, and we if we wanted to talk about an issue, we discussed it, and we would put. We would put an ashtray, we smoked in the house at the time, we put an ashtray in front of us, and whoever had the ashtray in front of them could voice their opinion without any interruption, which was a great thing, and it was, it, it, it cleared the air for an awful lot of things. It was my wife that knows them more than me, yeah. Um, I remember her one day calling me up to the room, it was my second eldest daughter, and she calls me up to the room, she says, look at her, and 
She was like a biafran in the bed, yeah. Our bones was all sticking out and all. And uh, the sickness I felt, yeah. Just, uh, I didn't know what to do. Uh, things go through your mind, you know. You know, drugs, AIDS, um, death. That's what comes into your mind, you know. She denied everything. She denied everything. But uh, as I said, we found the signs, the tin foil, the lighters, the usual, the spoons gone missing. And I was actually coming in from work and I was coming down the, the estate and I seen her on the stair, stairwell over here. And I just walked over, holding another girl, and I seen him eating the, the spoon with the drugs on it. I was, I was devastated. I couldn't believe my daughter called because, as I say to you, she's seen I was so anti-drugs. I don't know whether it was a rebellious streak in her or what. She was top of her class in school. Seriously now, really good in school. Um, we had no idea um, when she went on drugs. We spoke to her since and she actually went on drugs in school she uh, walked in during one lunch break into the school and there was two girls and one of them ah, and he said that's okay it's only uh, my daughter like you know so um, she asked what they were doing you know and they were smoking heroin on tin foil or a, bu- a tube of a burrow you know so she said give us a shot of it or whatever or they offered her a shot and she just Took it and, and never stopped then for years after that. She was only uh, 14, turning 15 at that stage. And just then another parent came and asked about her and asked, uh, could, could you ask your daughter not, not to be uh, coming near her daughter? They were both involved in drugs at the time. So... Um, that was the first that we knew about it. Play came about probably four and a half, five years ago. Uh, we were looking at ways of doing some outreach and to raise the awareness of father support because not enough men were engaging in services. Uh, we held a seminar in Osmond House in Mountjoy Square. The name of the seminar was Go Tell Your Ma. And the reason it was called Go Tell Your Ma was because in a lot of the cases, when fathers were approached with a problem, they said, tell your ma. I don't know, tell your ma. We had a couple of workshops, and some of the ideas that come up out of the workshop was, you know, uh, put on the back of a beer ma. Or do a piece of drama and go around all the community centres. So I went back and asked the group, would you be interested in doing a piece of drama? And they nearly fainted. They actually thought I was on drugs. And one of the ways for it to succeed was, I was actually going to take part in it myself. And I said, look, I'll do a witch's week. I'm not asking you to do something, you know, that I wouldn't do. Still a lot of reluctance, and 
you know, they're not known and all that kind of stuff. So what we done was we had a venue and we said, look, what we, we'll look, we'll just explore and we'll put our ideas together and see what we can come up with. So I spent the next few weeks encouraging and persuading, uh, getting them to take part in it. So eventually we come up with a story. So I just said to Robbie, we need sort of to nail it now. Like, they're at the bite in the bay, so we need to put a date on it now. So and that's what we've done. I think it was the 29th of June, 2004. Uh, within a few months then, she up and ran away from home. Uh, left school. We did everything we could. Went went everywhere we could. Went to all, went to the police. Went they, at the fact at this stage she was sixteen years of age and there was nothing they said they could do for for us. We tried everything. Oh, we we travelled everywhere. I went. I brought her to Cork tomorrow. My wife's brother, he said he'd take her, to get her away from the drugs. I used to travel them once a week to Cork. To her. And I'd stay the weekend with her. Great for a couple of weeks. She robbed from him. Made her way back to Dublin. She was on the street. She wouldn't come in because she knew she'd stolen from him. That we were going to find out. So she... Eventually, she did knock at the door one night. And... It was, as they say, tough love. You have to say, get yourself started. We'll be there for you. You know we'll always be there for you. I used to go around on the soup runs at night time and asked, have you seen this girl? Have you seen, you know? And uh, got to know uh, other users and then they eventually said, yeah, I, you know, we'll tell, when we now find out, we'll tell her. Now, I was giving them a few bob for them to tell me, but at this stage, I really thought I have to save my own one, you know? So uh, I am... Um, I eventually found where she was in this house. I am. Um, it was an old derelict um, tenement house on the keys, on the north side of the keys, up near the new bridge at Ben Burb Street and that type of thing. It was an old derelict house. So in order to get into this house, um, I, I watched and I could see they used to get over and down into the area, the basement area. And there was some bars missing on a window and they used to squeeze through it. <laughs> and then, as you can see, I'm a fairly large fella. But don't ask me how, but I squeezed through these bars, right? And just with a lawyer, I went looking round. And there had to be 30 or 40 uh, drug addicts in all the rooms from the basement area right up through the top, three, four floors in different rooms. Um all doing their thing and I be I was running around going in and out, calling out her name, um and these people were just saying, you know, F off, piss off well, you know, threatening, just get out of here and and I'm screaming her name continuously, I just wanted and eventually uh, I found her in a room in a basement area with it. Just a door shoved across, a big door shoved across, a smaller opening, and they used to, um, used to bar themselves in because although they were all in the one position, they would all rob each other and everything, you know. So, and uh, I just got her out of the out of there that time, brought her home, and my wife then 
we, we just brought her home and we had dinner and we, well we went out to dinner and tried to talk but all all, all she wanted to do was to get back um, we're in uh, RDRD it's uh, rings and response to drugs um, uh, we're in uh, uh, in the Spellman Centre. Okay. Yeah. And the play is on here tonight. The play is on here tonight. Yeah, it's part of the Drug Awareness Week um, for Rings End. This is Robbie Bourne, who's the community development worker with Community Response, who would have been responsible for actually putting this piece of drama together and structuring it and working with the men. Well, I'll follow you. There's a lovely co- courtyard out here. There is, yeah. There is. Lovely. It's gorgeous, yeah. Lovely. Robbie, can I talk to you just for a few minutes about your role yeah. in, in the Minute Work play? Yeah. So what's your take on the process and what was your part in it? Well, I suppose the, the process is really um, an integration of community development and uh, drama whereby people get to tell their stories in a very authentic way. Um, because the script is based on the role plays that they come up with themselves. What's your first memory of meeting the men who were in the drama tonight? Um, my first memory was uh, the night Derek asked me to go out to see the Fathers of Addicts group and to talk to them about what a piece of drama would be like. Um, and that was basically me having a chat with them uh, in the room, taking notes on what their concerns uh, where and explaining to them the way that I worked. I think probably with all groups of people, especially launching into drama for the first time, they're always extremely, um, extremely nervous. Um, I mean, what I remember really mostly was that there was a lot of laughter um, and there were a lot of tears as well. At times we, we stopped uh, when it became too difficult um, because the exercises allowed people to get into emotional spaces which they may have not been before or if they were, they were on their own with it. I think if you've seen the drama, I, I'm actually counting bottles. And I say, where's all your mates? Well, that just happened to me. That genuinely happened to me. I was into uh, schoolboy football in a big way and I got away from that and if the friends I had made I thought you were talking about me so I wouldn't talk to them and if they did, even if they'd say to me how's the daughter I'd say what the F do you want to know for so the consequences of that was they shied away from me so I wouldn't go out I just stopped going out then so I used to get drink and sit here and just drink myself into a stupor. I'd sit on my own. Nobody wants to to admit to admit defeat, basically, and to to, to admit that you couldn't you couldn't uh, look after your children, uh, that you were responsible for 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 their behaviour. Um, so we shied away from our neighbours. We shied away from our social life. Just went out the window. It didn't it didn't happen anymore. Like I, I created situations myself. I know I did, with 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 people that I was friendly with, so that I could avoid them. Created arguments, 
not huge arguments, but just I created a, a rift so that such a body wouldn't phone me anymore because of that. I know I did. With, with quite a few people. Because I was ashamed and embarrassed. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want, if they did know, I didn't want them to say, I'm very sorry. I didn't want any of that. I certainly didn't want to tell my parents because they were elderly and um, my father wasn't in great health and I didn't want to, to burden him with something else. Um, so I, 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 it was a long, long time. It was a number of years before I actually told him. You go around the haze and that, that haze goes on for years, you know, because you can't trust anymore. And the, well, well, these, well, we're going through that then, my eldest son started dabbling the heroin. Yeah. So we treated them here in the house and then uh, that's when the turmoil started really. And it came to a stage when my daughter, she had a child out with Jim and she was living here and me, my wife couldn't cope with what was going on. She said either she goes or I go and I let my wife go. Yeah. Because I didn't want to put my daughter out and the grand, grandchild, yeah. And that's that's the way it was. We were just we weren't with each other, yeah. You know, as such, emotionally we weren't, cause I was taking sides, yeah. You know, and uh, my wife left for a couple of weeks. I came home one day and uh, my daughter was gone. And I said, "Right, you have to go out to work and pay bills, and I'll let your mother, you know, the mother walk away." And here I am, no one now. Night can't go to work, cause I don't mind the granddaughter. Yeah, and that was the selfish part, and that sort of opened me eyes. Yeah. How long have you been in this flat now, Wilson? In this flat, uh, I think we're twenty-three years. Twenty-three years, Susan. Gosh. Yeah. Who lives here at the moment? Uh, me, me, myself, my wife, and me. Uh, young grandson. And you were saying you got custody of him recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That we were thrilled with that, yeah, yeah, thrilled. And you see a difference in him? Oh, big time, big time. Yeah. At the top of the world here, Marcy. Oh, the penthouse. My grandson, grandson was coming up here one night, and there was two syringes, and for Plato, he come up to me, Susan. And he said, Granddad, there's two syringes on. I said, you didn't put your hands near them, did you? He was able to tell us about the, uh, the glass pipes for this crack cocaine. That's what she was using. <coughs> but the final straw, the reason we went to take uh, custody of him, we brought him to Spain for three weeks with us. We always bring him away. We're going on holidays, won't leave him now. And while we were away... My daughter stole his computer, his computer games, and he had hundreds. She sold a whole lot. His man? His own man, yeah. 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 And we cracked up when we heard it. said, what? How low is she going to go? It's It's the two-legged ones, right? And every one of them. As young as they are. They deal drugs. Those boys don't As young as they are, yeah. 
a deal. None of them are addicts. They're not addicts. This, this guy here is not an addict. But and the others there? They're, oh, these are... They take drugs. <coughs> As I said to you, they don't want to be maybe 20, 30, and they all gather on, the, on this corner here. That's where they gather. With a ten-year-old girl up here. And uh, we found out who the taxi driver was. He used to bring the drugs in a taxi. And he had a list. And he'd give it to the ten-year-old girl. With the names that she used to give the drugs to. And collect the money so he wouldn't be seen. Doing the deals. We got the taxi driver. We got his number. We reported him to the taxi firm. We went to the police about him. We don't know what happened to him. But we were just glad that we got the ten-year-old girl away from it. She's a lovely girl. She lives over there. The, the door that's open there. She lives over there. She'll have, she'll have them come over and ask my wife does she need anything in the shop. So, you know, she's, she's a lovely girl. But there was a road she could have been going there. Look, look, I think back to my daughter and I say, that could be my girl again, you know. Was there a low point? Was there something that you could look at now and say that was the worst moment? For me? Uh, as a dad? As a dad. I suppose the absolute feeling of helplessness, of not being able to do anything, and and realising that no matter what you tried, no matter what you said, no matter what you tried to set up for recovery units or trying to see um, counsellors and facilitators of groups and only realising that your son or your daughter are the only person that they can actually give up the drugs themselves because they want to. I mean, I asked my son at one stage, why are you taking drugs? And he told me because he likes them. And I think that was the realisation for me that I had absolutely no chance I had no chance of controlling my son's addiction and him getting off drugs. It was down to him. And uh, it was... It was devastating for me because I knew then that I I, I would help him in, in every way, shape and form, but there was nothing I could do unless he wanted to do it himself. In, in the play we describe... When somebody goes back on drugs, and I'll just get it out anyway. Um, it brings back memories, alright. Um, I think uh, when she went back on it the second time, that was the Roy right kicking the teeth we got. That was the lowest time. For us, so uh, there's always little signs that 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 show when they're going like that, and you're trying to ignore them. You know, it might be something might go missing or something, and you're hoping that it's not the same thing starting over again. That comes out a lot, you know, with the lads in the group. You know, they'd say, "Jeez, I couldn't find my camera." And I went, you know, something like that that you you might use every few months looking for the camera to go away for a weekend and all of a sudden you can't find the camera and then that might be a pointer to any other things are going as well and then they all start adding up the the, the, 
the kid being back on the care again, you know. Very few parents will actually show up at any treatment centre and ask for help. It's always in relation to their child. You know, they don't actually come in and say, listen, you know, uh, I have a child on drugs, can you help me? It's always in relation to getting something done for their child. You know, you have to treat this very, very gently, you know, and saying, look, you know, you think you need support yourself, like, around the whole situation, and, and then you throw in a few little spanners in the works, and, you know, like, asking about the non-drug using the kid, the non-drug using kids at the home, how are they, and, you know, to tell the grand and say, like, what's it like for them to have a sister on drugs or a brother on drugs, and, you know, so you're, you're throwing in little spanners there, and they're, like, little bullet points of awareness, and, like, you know, they're going, oh, didn't think of that one. Didn't look like that, you know. Maybe we do need a bit of help around the situation. So it was that kind of uh, session with them that, you know, I used that approach was just little bullet points of awareness, and eventually, you know, they came back down to me, and you know, the rest has been history. Like, you know, good friend of my wife's, my wife was talking to her, and she come up to see me, and I was in a bad way, and she never said anything, but she went to see. Derek Jennings, the drugs counsellor. And when he come up, he come up and knocked out. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. I got frightened now he was. I had a house coat on me, my pyjamas, pair of slippers and 12 cans of Guinness around me. And he just sat and talked, told me who he was. That He said, I'm not cut out to you now. He said, you've alcohol on you. He said, I'll be up here tomorrow. He said, I want to see you showered, shaved. No drink. And we'd have a chat. So I said, what have I to lose? He came up to me the next day. And he said to me, I'm not here to help your daughter. I'm here to help you. Now see. And he asked me to step back and take a look at my own lifestyle. Which was a bit of a, oh, yeah. I know where he's coming from. I know what he means. I was like, get myself addicted to a drug. A legalised drug. But at the same time, I, I realised I was as bad. That this wasn't going to solve anything. I wasn't helping my wife, my other children, or the person with the addiction. I wasn't. I was no help. So he called me. He said, would you come out and have a chat with me? Could you make your way out to Clondalk and to me? So I got the bus out. He told me where to meet him. I thought it was a clinic. You know, you went on one-to-one. And I walked in, there was 12 men sitting there. I said, what's this? So immediately he introduced me to everyone. This is Mousy, said Tim. Well, they started talking football and different things. Then eventually Derek, it's torn and he possibly say, well, Mousy, how'd your weekend go? And it was such a relaxed feeling. And the guys could relate to me, I could relate to, I could relate to them. When I went in... And I'd heard people talking, you know, one son, two sons, a daughter. And what they were saying, they were telling my story, you know, and how they feel they were out to express it, where I couldn't, you know. And I went, I went for two weeks, three weeks before I said anything really. And then when I did, I just couldn't shut up. It just flowed out of me, you know. A lot, of, a lot of it was emotional, yeah, I was just bottled up inside, you know, and uh, I was out to talk. And when I did talk, it didn't feel as bad, 
you know, because it didn't feel as if I was the only father that had three kids on drugs and not able to cope, you know. And when, when did you realise that the group was making a difference? What happened was, it was coming up to his 21st birthday and uh, I was lying through my teeth making up stories that he was working in the country because I did have him working with me on uh, um, uh, a project and um, that didn't pan out. My mother was was uh, was talking about the 21st birthday party that my son was going to have. But I knew the 21st birthday party was never going to happen because my son wasn't home with us. And I said, I'm going to tell my parents. Got into the car and drove over uh, north side and uh, told my parents. And the three of us sat in the front room crying. And uh, the weight that was lifted off my shoulders What did they say? They woke me and kissed me and told me they were there for me. There for my family. And that was... That was when I turned... I, I, I turned everything around then. Uh, well, everything was turned around for me as a result of that. Hey, How are you feeling before the play? Are you nervous? No, usually we just, we have the crack out, we're rehearsing, we mess and all. Yeah. But when it comes to stepping outside, then we... We were rehearsing one night, right? And we had to walk out and do this piece, right? You know, walk out, say, Father. And we all come out and said, I'm a little teapot. <laughs> Short and stout. Yeah. And Robbie went mad, you know, because uh, at the time we were definitely really? trying to... Uh, we did but, some crazy things right? Oh, right? I swear to God. Behind that curtain, we did have some crack as well. <laughs> It's enjoyable and it's, I mean... We're giving can, something back as well though, you know. I think that's the way I look at it, you know. Like we I've often said sometimes, Jason, this is still going on. We, we're only supposed to do this once. <laughs> and long, three or four years later and we're well, still doing it's it. What? It's what? We're in 04 and we're in 09 now. Do you know what I mean? What? There's five years mm. here enough? Only five years, yeah. At the father's group, one night and... Uh, Derek said, well, boys, how would you feel about doing a bit of drama? And we know where we told him to go. Ah, no, no, we wouldn't go for it. So, after about a few months, he came back to us and he asked us just to do the one. So, Robbie got involved then. He was a drugs counsellor. And uh, he listened to our stories. We were all telling him what things that had happened and the whole lot. And they got together, and it's, it is our story, because all Robbie did was tapes, and he he wrote the scripts, and we'd go out every Tuesday night for two and a half hours and rehearse, and it was wonderful. It was great. The, that feeling of comradeship, oh, it was absolutely marvelous. I remember the first one we done was down in uh, off Francis Street, and. We were all terrified. We were terrified. But it went well. And there was actually... The five of us were close to tears. We just got grabbed on another on stage when it was over because we were so scared. But it went so well. Marvellous feeling. It was one of the best feelings I've ever had because I didn't realise that they were so scared. And I was that, you know, I was scared, but they were the same. It's the next best thing to a miracle, to get five men to get up on stage and talk about their lives, what it's, you know, talk about their feelings, their issues, 
the way they cried, you know, the way they neglected the non-drug using kids at home, the way they neglected our partners, the way they weren't men, they, you know, they were men, but they never took the role of being a man and shared the responsibilities within a home. You know, they didn't do that. They woke late, they went to the pub, they came in, give an out hell, get that junkie out of the house, and you're always the same. You know, only for you he's like this, and this and that. And they never took the role on, you know, and I think the group, you know, has given them a lot of responsibilities, stand up and own the responsibilities. And to be fairness, I've, I haven't let them away with much uh, in challenging their behaviour throughout, you know, the process of them being in the support group. You know, I mean, sometimes they, they've, you know, done the blame game, but I've always made them stand up and take responsibility for what they're responsible for. You know, without shifting the blame to their partner, you know, or going drinking because their son is on drugs. If their son is using a substance to help him cope with what's going on for him, you know, why are they doing the same? You know, and like you'll hear, oh, well, I'm working all week and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. You know, and I just kept putting straight back on their laps. If you don't have the tools to fix a car, you're never going to fix it. And if you don't have the, the tools, you know, to cope with a situation, it's very hard to cope with, you know. So like they didn't know how to cope. You know, they thought by coping the way they are as men, you know, these big, strong, angry, tough men would solve the problem. You know, it didn't work. And it doesn't work. You know, so. So it was, it was a long, 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 long road. And we are now arriving at the Spellman Centre in Ringsend to do men at work. And there's Robbie over there. I hated my kids for being on drugs. I hated them, I couldn't look at them, I couldn't stand them. And still I couldn't understand why I had all this emotion and feelings for them. Yeah. And it was explained to me up in the thing. It's all right to hate them. You know, it's all right to hate them for what they're doing. You don't hate the person. You hate the drug. And when that was explained to me, you know, and what you're feeling is love, but you hate what they're doing. You don't hate them. And that had to be explained to me. You know, I don't like the addict, but I love my child. You know? And through all that, I have four kids. You know, I have four kids. I have another young lad. They never took drugs. They never gave me any problems. Never brought the police to the door. And then after been talking here, I never said a word about them. You know, because the addicts took up everything. Everything. It's taken. It's taken ten years off my life, my wife's life, and both my son's lives. Without a doubt. Last summer we we became grandparents for the first time, which we've which we're over the moment, um, and everything is, is is good at the moment. Touch wood, and all I can hope for is that um, it remains that way. But my God, it was the best con job that was ever done for me, for me, me wife, and the other two children, because my daughter one night and said I was in the bedroom getting changed and she didn't realise I was in there 
this is my youngest girl. I've been, I was going to the group about six weeks at this stage. And she said, Mom, isn't it great to have my real dad back again? And that was the best thing that could have been said to me. That was wonderful for me. I come out and I just hugged her. Because I had, I had I'd missed out. My relationship with her, she's a diamond. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're all very welcome. Um, the reason we're doing this piece of drama is to outreach uh, to fathers and to families who are affected by drug use. So we'll forward ahead and enjoy. Derek told me once, one of the lads said, Jay, isn't it, isn't it all the same? Isn't it lucky that our kids went on drugs? So Derek says, how do you make that out? He says, well, if they hadn't gone on drugs, none of us would have met. <laughs> you know, which is true as well. So. I've often been driving through me to say, you know, coming up to the house and seeing the door and just wishing it disappear, or I could disappear, because I wouldn't know what to expect when I walked into the house. I just didn't want to be there. You know, it takes over your whole fucking life, Moose. It certainly does, it consumes you. Sometimes you don't even get to your fucking hall door. You go elsewhere, you know. Maybe a lot of men go to pub, we don't know. I know one thing, Mousy, when you come in here tonight, you said you weren't going to talk. <laughs> yeah, you won't shut fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think it'd be this easy, I, do, I feel very relaxed. You've taken a first step. It's the first day for the rest of your life. Look out! Now work! That's it. <laughs>